we were learning about King Uziel, King of Judea. And to do so, uh, we took a dive into the Book of Chronicles because our Book of Kings dedicates a, ver a very few verses to King Uziel. But in Chronicles 2, chapter 26, we got an in-depth view of King Uziel, King of Judea. And he was described as being a very righteous king, a great conqueror who expanded the borders of his kingdom. But towards the end of the chapter, it is written that Uziel's success got to his head, Gavalibo, that is his heart became haughty. And he did something he should never have done. He entered the inner sanctuary of the temple to offer incense. And of course, that's a no-no because he's not a priest. He's not a Kohen. He's not from the sons of Aaron. He's a king from the tribe of Judea. And as a result of, as a result of that, he was stricken with leprosy. And the priests ushered him out of the temple and he remained in quarantine until the end of his days. As it said, Beit he went to the Beit HaChovshit till the end of his days and his son Yotam uh, became the new king. So we want to examine why would a righteous king like Uziyahu stumble in such a way? And he's pious, he's a Talmud Chacham. What was he thinking? So the most simple understanding is that you have to consider what it was like in those days with other kings in the region. In, in foreign cultures, the king was considered someone who wasn't just a, a regent, but he was a holy man, Ishkadosh, who could offer sacrifices from time to time. Now, that's not the Jewish custom or law, but since King Uziah was incredibly successful and internationally renowned, and we saw it twice in Chronicles 2, chapter 26, mentioning how he was internationally famous for his uh, exploits. And so he was influenced by what other kings were doing. He got haughty and he took part in this custom where kings see themselves as hallowed, something holy. So we have to ask the question, why Ketoret? I mean, why would he partake in the burning of the incense service of all, of all things? Because it's not the first time that Jewish leaders were offering incense when they shouldn't have. We saw the sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, were punished with immediate death for burning incense on the incense altar, right? That's in Pasha Shmini in the Chumash. Now, they were Kohanim, they were priests, but they weren't commanded to do that at the particular time, and they were struck down. So we see they were drawn to the incense, to the Torah service, and in Kings 1, chapter 13, we saw a king do it. Not just King Uziel, but King Yeravan Benavat. If you look at Kings 1, chapter 13, if you recall, King Yeravan Benavat, the first king of the ten tribes, who at the time was considered the Gadol, he was chosen by Hashem to lead that kingdom. He did exactly the same thing as Uziel did, with the same result, except that with Yeravan, his hand shriveled up, and with Uziahu, the leprosy broke out on his forehead. So the question again, what drew them to the Torah, to the incense? So let's get into this for a second. What were the, what were the incense? Well, the incense offering, or called the Torah in Hebrew, that's a, that blend of aromatic substances that exhale an exquisite smell during combustion. And it held a prominent position in the temple sacrifice. And it was the favorite of the priests as well. And obviously... Yeravah Benavat and Uziahu, it was also their preferred choice. It was also their uh, preferred ch choice as well. But again, the Ketoret is reserved for the Kohenim exclusively and not the kings because they're from the tribe of Judea. So what is the attraction? 
Well, first of all, it is something really special. Uh, we know that it was, um, it says in the Talmud that there was a secret blend of spices that made up these incense. And um, it was a very, hev- it was a heavily guarded secret. They didn't want anybody else to know it. So it would prevent, they wanted to prevent the replication of, of these incense to not uh, know the, um, the, what the blend was exactly. There was a concern that the recipe would be used in the worship of foreign gods. And it was even a secret from the other priests. As a matter of fact, it says in the Talmud that the priests of the house of Avtinus, for the family of Tinus, the Kohanim, they're called the Mashpachat Avtinus, they were charged with preparing the incense during the Second Temple period. And the blend they made was so perfect, so special, so unique, that only they knew how to do it, that the smoke would ascend to the heavens in this perfect mushroom form. And they kept the technique and the exact proportions of the incense blend a secret to themselves. And they were criticized for it. So obviously, obviously there's something really special, okay? And mystical. And we can see why it was an attraction, you know, besides being really cool. Iktorit was, um, well, according to the Kabbalah, it, it, we learned that the sense of smell, right? Out of the five senses, right? Taste, touch, smell, hearing, um, out of the, all the senses, the sense of smell is the connection of the physical to the spiritual. Smell, the sense of smell, that's our connection to our soul. How is that? How do we know that? Because this is from the Kabbalah. In the story of creation, in Genesis, when God formed Adam out of the earth, it says he breathed into his nostrils the soul of life. He blew into his nose and nostrils. Nishama. He blew the the neshama through his nose. As a matter of fact, the word reach, which means smell, and the word ruach, which means spiritual, it's almost the same word. Reach, ruach. Almost the same word. Obviously, it's the same root. So smell, the sense of smell, is definitely the most spiritual of all the senses. And the faculty of smell has this intrinsic quality that goes beyond material. Think of it like how, for instance, a specific smell it can take you back to a childhood memory immediately. The fragrance, you know, the fragrance of your grandmother's closet. You smell it and it can take you back more than any picture would. So maybe now we see in a small way why these kings chose the incense offering over other services of the temple. But of course it was wrong for Uziel to do this. Now moving to another topic from Chronicles. At the end of Chronicles, it says something really interesting. It says that, and the rest of the deeds of Uziahu, this is how they sum them up in Chronicles, were recorded by Isaiah, the son of Amos, the prophet. And that's right, Isaiah the prophet, very well-known prophet, Isaiah. It says he was a prophet in the days of Uziahu, Yotam, Achazin, Chizkiahu. So Isaiah the prophet coincided with the tail end of King Uziahu's reign. And that's interesting because Isaiah the prophet, he was also stricken. He was also stricken when he was consecrated by God as the prophet. He didn't he didn't um, offer Torah or incense, but he was stricken when he said to Hashem, I am a man of impure lips and I dwell amongst the people with impure lips. That is in chapter six, he was refusing the mission of being a prophet at the beginning. He says, I can't do it. I mean, I dwell amongst the people in Tamis Fatayim, which means impure lips. And when he said that, it says there in the book of Isaiah that one of these seraphim, like these angels, they flew towards him and they placed a hot coal on his mouth, right? 
But the point is, Isaiah was talking about Uziel's generation. Because Isaiah's mission as the prophet then was to rebuke the generation of Uziah, at least at the beginning. Isaiah, again, went through four different, four different kings, but at the beginning, his job as the prophet is to chastise and rebuke Uziah and his generation. And remember, it's a generation of great affluence and prosperity, but their peace and tranquility is misleading. The kingdom of Judea is really a paper tiger. They benefited from the vacuum that was created in the region with the fall of Aram. We mentioned this before, all the conquests of Yerovam, who was in the head of the Shamron, and Uziahu, a lot of it was because there was a vacuum with the fall of the Arameans, and Assyria had taken care of the Arameans, and, and the Assyrians are emerging, and they're waiting in the wings, and there are black clouds hovering over the kingdom of Judea, and that sense of affluence and wealth is really a facade, and Isaiah has the task of warning the kingdom of Judea to kind of wake up from their uh, calm and serenity. The final subject we want to mention here, and I mentioned in our last year, we're going to relate to it, is that it says in Chronicles, after describing in detail the impressive national achievements of King Uziah, it says in verse 10, that King Uziah was Ohev Adama, which literally means lover of the earth. Simply put, that means a farmer, or he was into agriculture. Now, I'm going to bring now Midrash Tanchuma. If you look at Midrash Tanchuma, Pasha Noach, Midrash number 13, it refers to this concept of loving the Adama, Ish Adama. And the Midrash puts it into a negative light. It actually places the concept of Ish Adama into a negative light. We usually think in a good way, hey, loving the land of Israel and working the land of Israel. But it also could be negative. And let's look at the Midrash. I'm gonna, it's going to be a, a dive into this Midrash, but it's really interesting. I think it's worth it. So it says the following in this Midrash, in Parsha Noach, that there were three men who were called men of the earth or lovers of the earth. Cain, from the story of Cain and Abel, Noah, and Uziahu. That's our Uziahu. And it says in the Midrash, three men toiled upon the earth and degraded it. So they toiled the earth, but they degraded. In the word Hebrew, na'asechulin. That is, they became not holy because of it. And it says, who were they? Cain, Noah, and Uziah. So first they talk about Cain. It says, Cain became a murderer. Then it talks about Noah. Noah became a drunk. And Uziah became a leper. And then they're going to go through each one, one by one. First of all, Cain. We know Cain was a tiller of the ground. That's what it says there in Book of Genesis, he was a farmer, a tiller of the ground. And Abel, Hevel, or Abel in English, was the shepherd. And we know that Cain murdered Abel. And they were actually competing for the land. They were two people in the world, and Cain wanted it all. And that's why when he murdered him, it says he would be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. So Cain become the, became the first murderer, and it's related to his ambitious uh, ambition to conquer the land from his brother. And then it goes to Noah. At first, Noah was called Ishtamim. He was a righteous man. He was a perfect man. But what happened after the flood? The verse says he was a Ishadama. We go back to that word, a lover of the earth, a man of the earth. And then they put it in a negative light. He came out of the ark. He planted a vineyard. Again, I'm reading the Midrash as it brings the verses from, the Genesis, from Genesis. He planted a vineyard. And what does it say after he planted a vineyard? It says that uh, he disgraced himself. What happened? 
He drank of the wine. So he drank wine, he got drunk. And he disgraced himself. Bad things happened there with his sons. If you look in the verses, you'll see what kinds of weird things are going on there with Ham and, and with Yefet and Shem. And they say that when he planted the vineyard, it bore fruit. He harvested it. He drank the wine. He became intoxicated. And he exposed his private parts. So that's the Midrash saying what happened to Noah. And now, this is a little bit parenthetical to our story of Uziah, but it's so interesting. I wanted to continue in this Midrash about Noah here. It says, a teachers of blessed memory stated, while Noah was planting the vineyard, the Satan came, the Satan came, and asked him, what are you planting? And Noah said, I'm planting a vineyard. As the verse says in Tehillim, wine does make glad the heart of man. Yismach levev adam, right? We know that verse in Tehillim, that wine makes the heart of man glad, right? So Satan said, hey, that sounds great. Let's be partners in this vineyard. And Noah said, okay, let's do it. What did Satan do? First, he obtained a lamb and slaughtered it beneath the vineyard. Then he took a lion and slaughtered it there. And then he took a monkey and he slaughtered that also. And then he slaughtered a pig. So he slaughtered a, lion, a lamb, a lion, a monkey, and a pig. And he let their blood seep into the earth, watering the vineyard. Now remember, and this is me talking, all the wine in the world comes from this vineyard, right? It's all derived from this vineyard because this is after the flood. There was nothing else. By the way, this Midrash isn't very complimentary of wine. And we do have wine for Kiddush, but it's definitely not complimentary of people who drink too much. So let's see what it says here. And why did the Satan do this? To, to demonstrate that when one takes a few sips of wine, man is as mellow as a sheep. That's the sheep. And after he drinks a moderate amount of wine, a little more, he behaves like a lion. He boasts that he's the best. He loses inhibitions. He gets brave and... And so forth, he acts like a lion, he gets courage, and when he drinks a little more, he behaves like a monkey, dancing about like a fool, unaware of what he's doing, and when it becomes completely, completely intoxicated, he behaves like a pig, defecating on himself. And the Midrash concludes, and that's what happened to the righteous Noach, and if the righteous Noach, that happened to him, if he behaved in such a fashion, how much more so could any other man? Okay, that's pretty interesting. And now it gets to Uziao, the third person who got involved with being an Ish Adama, Cain, Noah, and Uziao. And it says, and it brings our verse in Chronicles, Huev Adama, he loved the land. So that is, he devoted himself to the land. He developed the land. He was a builder. But it says here, but he ignored the Torah. And then the Midrash explains that that led him to offer incense and get the leprosy. Brings us back to the sin of the haughtiness and, and offering incense when he shouldn't have. And then being stricken with the leprosy on his forehead. And so, let's ask, let's ask the question. Now, I finished the Midrashim. We want to like reflect on this. How is being a Hevadamah negative? I mean, building the land, developing the land of Israel, it's a good thing. Why here is it placed in a negative light? So Rav Ariel, in his book, Mikdash Melech, he gives a great explanation. He says, see, the Adama, the land, it, be it can become an obsession, like with Cain. He's battling with Hevel, with Abel, over who's the master of the world. It's not enough for, um, it's not enough for him to have half of the world. He wants it all. And when Noah comes out of the ark, well, the world is all his. So he gets addicted to the feeling of ownership. It's all mine. It's my territory. And Uziah, who was expanding like crazy, the borders, more land and more land, 
It's never enough. That eventually leads him to partake in the service of the priest. So we see that working the land, while it's vital, of course, it's in the land of Israel, you can get addicted to it at the expense of your spiritual development. Now, I kind of understand this because uh, living here in the heart of Samaria, in Tapuach, I see the hilltop Jews, the ones that become very successful, who dedicated themselves to develop a hilltop. I'm not talking about the kids, but the ones who've been here for years who developed businesses on their hilltops and really uh, impressive, expanded their hilltops. And they became very territorial. There are actually wars in some of these hilltops. I'm talking about violent wars on these hilltops here in the Shomron. Between God-fearing Jews, they're fighting over the land, they're staking out territory, and they become really possessive over it, and God forbid that someone else comes near them, and that's what's going on here. So, you know, this is like inside dirt uh, I'm giving you, and nobody really knows about this unless you live out here. Being from New York City, myself from Queens, I never really had an attachment to my property, my land, you know. I lived on, you know, concrete jungle, but it's different out here in Samaria. And so we see that there can be a, an addiction to seizing territory. So we see that Oheva Dama can have its neg negative aspects. And with that, we'll conclude learning about King Uziahu.